Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory from the Relevant Radio app. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. What will our future with Neuralink be? It's a question we each need to ask ourselves, but also look at it from a Catholic position with the latest news that Elon Musk has shared earlier in the week that the first patient approved by the FDA as of last year to go through with the early trials of Neuralink received a brain transplant and was recovering well earlier in the week. Uh, Where is the moral compass on the ethical side of Neuralink. Pacemaker is one thing. We could dive into that if we wanted. But Neuralink, it's messing with the mind, the brain, the fact that uh, things could intervene in the brain. We'll dive into this a little bit more later on here on Trending. It's an interesting topic. Also today on Trending is allowing yourself time to grieve. Have you lost a loved one, a family member, a spouse, a good friend, How do you grieve during that time? Joining me today is my guest, Hugh Brown from American Life League. And we'll dive also into how to teach young men to be virtuous, how to create leaders out of young men. I was talking to a friend who was over for dinner the other night, and I couldn't agree more with the statement he said. He mentioned that it is next to impossible today to see how virtue is being lived out in young people, that they struggle. Priest was talking to me about this the other day as well. He said, I see these young people and they'll come to confession over and over again, which is good because they're seeking God's mercy, but there's no virtue there to sustain them and help prevent them from sinning. They don't know what a virtue is. They don't know how to live it out. And that is contrary to what we're called to live out as Catholics. We're called to enter into the life of Christ, which means a virtuous life, living the life of God himself. And so joining me today to discuss this is Hugh Brown from American Life League. Hugh Brown is a football coach who's founded a high school. He works for American Life League on the front line of the pro-life movement. You can find them at all.org. And Hugh, you have had your hand for years in education and in particular working with young men. How do you teach young men virtue so that they can be leaders later on, both for themselves, their family, in the workplace, and in their communities? Well, I I think that's an excellent question. And I would disagree that there are not examples, because I think examples have to be, in in 2024, examples, especially to young men, because they're bombarded. We're we're all bombarded by the enemy. We're all bombarded, uh, whether it's the internet, your phones, um, messaging that is clearly sinful and, and, and demonic and it, it's covered and painted in you know the world's virtue with with this transgender I- ideology with all the deception that's going on so you have to take example you have to take um uh you, ha- you have to take advantage rather of daily of daily life right and one of the things you mentioned me being a football coach when you asked me the question in preparation for speaking to you what what came to mind was how we coach young men right we use 
Sport is the vehicle. Football is the thing. And I said this to one of my assistant coaches tonight because we train year-round. And the reason we train year-round is that we do teach virtue, right? We, we, we teach that hard work uh, has its own rewards, right? I had a priest say to me once in, in the confession when I was a young man that many times a sin is its own punishment, right? It's its own worst punishment. Also, effort and, and value and virtue can be found in daily life through the things that we do. So one of the things we do with young men in terms of using football as the vehicle, and we say that Christ is the destination, when I mentioned to the, the coach I was speaking to tonight, I said, you know, we have – our school doesn't have much, but the building we bought many years ago, for whatever reason, has a pool. And reading about Jim Harbaugh, who was at the March for Life, and, and I got to shake his hand uh, last week, um, you know, he has now left the University of Michigan after winning a national championship. He's a good Catholic man. And what struck me was an article that came out, uh, I guess, during the march about how they baptized this past season, this past year, 70 players, right? That's a big number. And I was telling my coach, and I wasn't kidding, you know, we we have a lot of young men that are that may not be Catholic, but they, they have Christ as a foundation or they're, or they're in our school because they are they're searching for something. Football is the reason they might have come in the door. Basketball might be the reason they came in the door. Academics might be the reason they came in the door. Not everybody is from a solidly Catholic family. And I meet many Catholic young men that are also lost. So you know, I told him there isn't anything wrong with us beginning to pursue baptizing our own players, you know, baptizing guys that young men that, that want Christ, that come to that a determination that they'd like to be baptized, that they'd like to have a deeper relationship with Christ, that they'd, they'd like to pursue the faith. And we talk about those things, but I think examples like Coach Harbaugh bringing virtue into his football program through the hard work and the effort and all the things that it takes to be successful, whether it's football, whether it's your radio show, whether it's you being a successful uh, spouse and, and, or wife and mother to your, your, your husband and your children, all of those things take effort. So there's virtue in effort. And in our program, what we talk about is trust, right? You have to establish trust. You have to have an environment where young men can see from grown men uh, just a witness and an example. And again, I dealt with something today. I dealt with something today where, where one of my coaches got upset at the lack of effort of one of our players. And I think that his response was wrong. Right. I think he really sort of went over. They were training in the school and before we did our after school stuff. And he just got upset and he had said that, you know, you're not a good fit here. You're not good for the program. And I think that is an absolutely wrong response. I understand it was emotional. I haven't had a chance to deal with it yet. I'll deal with it in the morning. But he needs to understand as a 28-year-old man, whether what he's saying is true or not, there's a right and a wrong way to talk to a 15 and 16-year-old young man. And saying that in front of his teammates, his schoolmates, his classmates, while this is your profession, your strength conditioning guy, that is that, that that's not virtuous, right? What's virtuous is being able to say, listen to this young man. Let's say his name is John. John, I, I need to talk to you after, right? I need to see you after after whatever it is we're doing is completed and then work with him on how he needs to be better. I mean, mm -hmm. as parents, that's what we do with our children and coaching. Essentially, that's what a coach is as a teacher, right? We need to, to lead young people in that direction. Mm -hmm. And you, I think, bring a really important issue up that encouragement is what helps build virtue. You mentioned earlier that for you guys, especially working as a football coach, the vehicle is the sport, but the destination is Christ, and you're teaching that. And with that, you mentioned that virtue, that effort is a virtue. And I think that that's really key because isn't that where it begins? This act of the will, this movement toward chasing after 
what is good, but that requires that we're also guiding people to see and know what is good. And that's one of the things you do in sports. In, for example, your experience there with football, you mentioned Coach Jim Harbaugh from the Los Angeles Chargers. If you don't know him, he made a surprise appearance at the March for Life just a couple weeks ago. We see these examples, and I appreciate that you bring them up because I think sometimes you hear that discouraging note of, hey, young people don't know what virtue is. They're not chasing after it. But when you see some people who are putting in effort, giving a sense of dedication and commitment to things, that makes a world of difference. And it makes me think as well, Hugh, of how this was kind of couched in that type of conversation. I had been bringing up, hey, why don't you use university students for a current project? I mentioned, you know, a Catholic university in Southern California, and they said, I can't depend at all on a university student. Every time I work with a 20-something-year-old or even early 30s, I'm not seeing any commitment. They flake out. They can't do something. I just heard of an employee recently who was fired early 20s and she just thought she couldn't show she could just not show up to work with no explanation like, oh, yeah, I wasn't here. And I get that, that lack of commitment. But what you're saying is that it starts with effort and that mentorship is key to this. It is absolutely key to this because as time unfolds, you and I have had conversations before. And I think one of the things we've talked about We have to be aware of the hour that we're in, right? And can you, at any point in human history, just imagine not only the lust for abortion and many of the other sinful things that we see, but just the whole insanity of of saying that a child wants to change their gender or even an adult wants to change their gender. And maybe that's always existed, but the reaction and response of the world, that it's something we have to protect and glorify. And that's just one example. So the hour that we're in is clearly deceptive, right? And I would call it evil because God made them male and female, and the devil looks to destroy that. And then he looks to use the – it's funny. I thought that a great name for a, a podcast would be Phobist because we're all either ists or phobes according to the other side, right? And – that's the language that they use. They try to, to marginalize people of faith and people that would like to instill virtue by calling them some type of phobe or some type mm-hmm, of you're a mm-hmm. racist or this, that, and the other. Um, so I think we have to pay attention to the hour that we're in. And knowing that, I think that effort is even, it makes it that much more important, right? Because it's, it's one of the things we talk about trust, we talk about effort, we talk about accountability, we talk about faithfulness, all of the things that are required to be successful in this silly little thing that we do here at St. Michael that's football. But we're using that to say all of those same things, being able to be trustworthy, being accountable. I didn't put this in right, but being present, right? The power of presence, putting forth effort, being faithful. It's going to make you successful in school, which really matters because football comes to an end. It's over. Your, your education and your faith, those are things that are with you uh, all, all the way through the, 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 to the end of your life and how you treat people. I've always had three rules as a football coach. They're real simple. It's be on time, uh, be relentless, and love your teammates. And pretty much everything we want to talk about falls into that. I had to add two years ago a fourth rule. After doing this for only seven years, five years in, I had to say, respect women. Well, why on earth would you have to say that? Because I'm hearing from moms not how some of these young men, especially without fathers, are talking back to their moms, are being defiant when they become 16 and 17. And I get it. All of those hormones are kicking in and you don't want to do your chores and you want to lash out at your mom. But as I told them, it matters that much to me because you represent me even when it's a privilege to come to this little high school. And when you're at home on a, a Saturday in April and football doesn't start to, well, it still matters. 
you need to conduct yourself like a man. And to me, a definition of a man, yes, we want to be faithful Catholic or Christian men, but how do you treat women? Mm. Right. That defines to me, if you're, you're disrespectful and we can't get past that, then you and I are going to have a big problem because that's not what men do. Right. We're supposed to be the head. And that means we serve Christ and Christ was humble. He was firm, but he's also loving and caring. And you need to give it all for the women in your life. And if something upsets you, you know, you, you come talk to me. You don't ever, you don't ever, don't ever lash out at your mother or your girlfriend or your grandmother or a staff member in our high school or some lady in the grocery store. I mean, all of that matters. That defines you as men and faithfulness, accountability, trust, all that leads to building good men. And that's what the culture needs. And as I tell them all the time, if not us, who, mm-hmm. who, cause you're not going to find them on the internet. I don't see them in the local public schools, no disrespect, mm-hmm. but if we're not leading and we're, and we're, we're not fearless about it, in terms of being good Catholic, solidly Christian men, then what's the then what's the point? I mean, that's what we're called to do. And this thing we put all of our time into, this sport is meant to get eventually strong Catholic, solidly Christian men leading their families, leading their lives, leading society to Christ and ultimately to heaven. That's the purpose of Catholic education. That's the purpose of anything that's you know, ancillary to anything that's done in any any Catholic institution, it all has to be focused on the end goal of getting uh, people to heaven. That means we need to make everyone around us extremely uncomfortable mm-hmm. because we're going to do things a lot different than you do. And you may not like it, but we're not apologizing for it. Yeah. And I love what you show as an example for how to lead men in that respect. And I'd love to hear, and if you're just joining me, that's Hugh Brown. He's the Executive Vice President of American Life League and the football coach at St. Michael's Catholic High School. Hugh, you share so much about these stories of, for example, these rules, be on time, be relentless, love your teammates. I love that, especially seeing how they all go together, even with that side of relentlessness. I think a lot of people today talk about toxic masculinity and the perseverance that men are meant to have as part of that idea of relentlessness. Can you speak a little bit more to being relentless and how that helps in fortifying a good male psyche and great effort? Oh, absolutely. No, it's funny you say that. So no one's ever asked me that question before, but that is one of that relentlessness and excellence. Those are two of my favorite words. Um, And and they're all related to football. They were planted in my mind at a very young age. When I was in my teens, someone wrote that. They simply said that Hugh Brown locally, where, where, where I played in high school was a relentless pursuer of, of, you know, trying to make tackles and do, do what I did when I was a young man. And I have thought a lot about that and I'm almost every day since, and that was probably 40 years ago. And, and the reason is, is that that word had always, the effort had always been in, in, the, in my mind, in my presence, in, in, in my intention. But that word to me, as I got older and actually became a man and understood my, my, my not my commitment, but my obligation to, to the Lord, my obligation to my wife, my obligation to my family, the obligation to the, the people in my life, uh, being relentless is the answer. Right. And being relentless means that we just we can't tire. Right. And when we do tire, we, we just have to work through it, because, again, if not us, who? And the Lord was relentless. Christ was relentless in his pursuit. I mean, on Calvary, he, he fell three times. He still got back up. Right. And they beat him to death. And, and then and then he on the cross. I mean, he could have called legions down to take to to to, to solve all of that. But he didn't. And he, he gave up his life for us. And he had every just ounce of power in him. To, to change it all in the blink of an eye. So we're being relentless. Christ gave us the greatest example. 
And anything that I've done that has had success in is because Christ has allowed it, right? The Holy Spirit allows it. And when it's not successful, I mean, clearly I have to learn from it. When it is successful, we give him the glory. But I, with young men, I, like I mentioned, I just came from training to do this radio show. It, it's the 1st of February. You know, most football programs in high school don't start till sometime in the summer. We begin on the 31st of December. And this year we began on the 15th of December because we didn't have a – we didn't play until the end of November like we usually do. We didn't have the same success we typically do. But we do that not because we're, we're just focused and have to win. It has nothing to do with it. We want these young men to be great, and we use effort. We use commitment. We use being on time. We use – we make them disciplined. Mm-hmm. We say we have a red and a blue day. You have a pair of red shorts and a red T-shirt. You have a pair of blue shorts and a blue T-shirt. If it's a blue day, by God, you better wear your blue outfit. Otherwise, there's a price to pay. And that's just teaching them. And I give it to them. It doesn't cost you anything. I, I outfit them all, um, you know, to the to the chagrin of my wife. But, you know, these are, we're trying to instill little things, right? If you can trust, it's a life lesson. Forget the sport. But if we can trust you in small things, we can trust you in big things. And that's... That's what we're trying to instill. And we've got some wonderful success stories here. I mean, there's uh, there's just been so many young men whose lives have changed that are now in college or going on to college. Um, I have one who transferred in from public high school a couple of years ago, and his GPA was horrible. He's gotten 3.5s and 3.4s here um, and just spoke to a coach that offered them him a full scholarship to a Division II college in Pennsylvania um, and it's a life-changing opportunity for him. And I could not be more happy for him and his family because he comes from nothing, nothing. And that mm-hmm. that the love that's been shown to him by the staff of the school, uh, from the, the administration of the school, from his coaches and his teammates, it literally has changed his life. And we've got so many stories like that. And I just tell him, you go be great, but be great for Christ, right? Just do things the right way. Be the man God intends you to be. And that's, you know, hopefully, hopefully that's, you know, a, a message that resonates with everyone that comes through the doors of our high school football or not. Um, and that's, you know, also the example here at the American Life League and our own families. We, we try to set every single day. That's Hugh Brown, the executive vice president of American Life League. Find him and his pro-life work at ALL.org. He's also the football coach at St. Michael's Catholic High School in Virginia. We'll be right back, and Hugh's going to discuss how to allow time to grieve, how to grieve the loss of a loved one. He has experienced the loss of some very dear friends and family members, and sometimes we don't know what to do when we experience that loss, yet still have to carry on with our everyday lives. We'll be right back here on Trending. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Joining me now is Hugh Brown, the Executive Vice President of American Life League, doing fantastic pro-life work. Check them out at ALL.org. Hugh, we seem to live in a culture that's very out of touch with emotion, even though we see emoting occurring everywhere online and seemingly processing emotions yet in reality there's real difficulty when we experience sadness joy uh, real sorrow and loss and i was thinking earlier about this challenge to grieve many people today find the loss of loved ones so common in a very uh, difficult culture when it comes to mental health, loss of loved ones via suicide. We see this even people struggling to navigate how to mourn the loss of someone such as an influencer 
who they followed on social media, whose brand they've enjoyed. I was thinking of you because I know you over the last about year and a half or so lost your father and have lost some very dear friends in your life. And I was wondering if you could speak to the role of grief and how to allow yourself time to grieve and navigate that as you kind of just look at the culture and it's almost as if you're supposed to post a sad post with a tribute to a loved one and then just carry on with your life again as if nothing happened. Well, thank you for asking that. Um, that's a that's a really, really good question. And it's clearly, I, I think it is very personal, right, to each person. Um, you know, as it, we're all human beings, we, we've all lost people we care for dearly. Um, and, and I think for me, at least, grief has been, you know, they, they call it, there's a process. But to me, it's been a process of learning how to grieve. Um, I lost my father, and within a year of losing my dad, about a year and a half, uh, we lost a, a, a gentleman who's been was a friend of mine since we were teenagers, who I mentioned before, who was paralyzed, um, who's someone I you know prayed with for the better part of a for 25 years every night, um, and life just really changed. Right, those phone calls stopped. Um, there's a void there. And I will say that in terms of knowing or learning how to grieve, I have clear, I absolutely have avoided like posting things because I, I agree with you. I think that it is personal to me. It seems if you want to say, you know, I, I love someone, I understand that, but, but to me, it just seems a little bit disingenuous, right? To, and that's just me, but to put something out there um, about grieving for someone that we've lost, because I think it's extremely personal. To me, they mean much more than something I could ever write. Um, and I've had to learn how to grieve. I can say that there's been a void in my life. I think there's been a, 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 a question about direction, like how to, to navigate certain problems or certain things I might have talked to both of those men about, which are really the only two men I really talked to about certain things for the better part of most of my life. And I've learned from my wife, right? My wife saw me struggling. And she let me know that my home is right here, right? And she was looking at me when she said it. And that just, I mean, it was a, a moment probably about mm -hmm. six months ago that just really changed things for me because I realized, yes, I miss them. Yes, grieving is important. It's important for our children to see us grieve. But in mentioning my wife, I also realized I'm extremely blessed because I have someone that cares so much about me. And the grief process, we have to understand, especially I would say this to any man, I'm sure it's true for, for women too that are mothers, your children have to see you grieve. What I was not prepared for in the loss of my father was the impact on my five children. At the time, they ranged from the mid-20s down to you know, early teens. And it really, I mean, he, he was beloved. And maybe I wanted to have a pity party for myself, but my kids were really hit hard. And I found myself more focusing on them and grieving with them, not being mm -hmm. afraid to, because, you know, you know, the big bad football coach, you know, isn't allowed to cry. That, that's not true. Right. I mean, we love people and, and our tears, you know, our tears are an expression of just our affection and, and, and how we felt about these folks. So my, when, when it comes to grieving, I think it's important for, for the, the advice I would give, you have to have people you can talk to. You have to have people that, that you love that, that can help you through the process and don't be afraid to let it all out because internalizing these things, and that's what men do, you know, we, we internalize. It's not healthy. It's not healthy for the people around you. 
And we also have to keep in mind, as much as we loved that person that we lost, there's lots of other people that love them also that are also suffering. And we can help each other. And it's important to, to really lean on that, to work through it. But as a good friend of mine who is a priest said, the grief process needs to be something that is, that, that, that is, that is um, finite, that we work through that grief process, and then we remember the good times. We remember the good times and we celebrate. And I'll give you the perfect example. My mom, my father uh, has been passed two years ago. His birthday was in May. And I went out there in the first year and, and surprised my mom with a visit. I didn't want her to be alone. So, um, oh, I'm sorry. He passed in November. His birthday is in May. So he passed in November. I went out there for the first time and I was going to go out the second time. And that this was just recently, this past November. And we talked about it in October. And I, I've learned, you know, from my mom. She said, Hugh, we're not even going to think about him on that day. And I said, Mom, what are you talking mm -hmm. about? She said, look, that's the day that he died. It's not necessarily the greatest of memories. But what we're going to do on May 18th of this year, you're coming up in a few months, we're going to celebrate your father. We're going to remember him on his birthday. And I thought, how simple, how powerful, how impactful. I would have never in a million years thought about that. And that day just kind of came and went. I talked to my sisters, you know, to, checked on mom. She was doing fine. Um, and we're going to really just every birthday remember my dad and not focus mm. on the day that he died. And it's, mm. I thought that was very wise. And I, I would like to share that because I thought that was actual wisdom from, you know, Judy Brown, the founder of the American Life League, who quite frankly is one of the wisest people I've ever met in my life. And um, I thought that was the Holy Spirit because it's true, right? Let, let's remember the good and celebrate the good. And my mm. father would have said the same thing. He would have said, don't mourn me. You know, live your life, celebrate, you know, celebrate the people that you still have. Remember me, sure, but let's focus on moving forward and the people that you have in your life that love you. And that's that's what I've learned from my parents. And I appreciate you mentioned grief as a part of celebration, that there can be celebration in grief and not that we're happy and joyful or sometimes we're sorrowfully sharing memories or reminiscing. But something you mentioned, you mentioned this a few months ago on the show as well, when you were mourning the loss of your friend, when not long after your father, when your wife told you your home is right here. And it made me think about how when you lose someone, you lose a close family member or a friend, there can be this displacement that you experience. It's like, and for some, I think a lost sense of sometimes belonging, even for some, their stability and for others, even their hope, especially if you've lost uh, a friend or a family member in tragic circumstances or shocking circumstances, whether it be suicide or illness or losing someone too soon. And it makes me think, Hugh, about what peace is. And part of what peace is, is a sense of belonging, a sense of home. And we're called, even in the midst of our grief, to still know that we belong, to still have hope, and that peace can be there right alongside that sorrow that's legitimate because of that loss, but we don't have to lose our sense of belonging in this world or in our relationships. And that takes effort while at the same time still loving and longing for the person who's been lost. Oh, there's no doubt. And I think anyone who has been through loss can relate to what you just said. That That's beautifully said. I, I know that what makes life worth living, we have our faith Clearly, right? Our, our goal, our singular focus is to get to heaven. But along the way, right, the, the source of our sanctification for most of us is our family, 
right? And that the, 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 the peace that can be found in the family by leaning on one another through the, the way you and your husband right now are raising your children, that, that will bless you in years to come. I, the way the, our, my parents raised us, it's blessing my mother. It blessed my father. It's, it's blessing my children. Um, you know, the, the, the wife that I have, that, or my wife that I have, my, my wife, right, who I met <laughs> Which when I was one? a teenager. <laughs> yeah, the wife that I have. If you really, the, I introduced her at, at a party years ago as my first wife. <laughs> and, and, and I said, "This is my this is my first wife, Anne, uh, the mother of my five children." And she goes, "That's that's hilarious, father of three. And then she she put me right in my place. I mean, it was it was uh, <laughs> she she's she's quicker than I am. So, uh, but having her, I mean, I she clearly right and. and to, to Just to clarify, she's your first and only wife, and don't you guys? She's have my an earlier... first and first and only wife. Yes, and and we have <laughs> our five children. Yes, so <laughs> being married to me, she has to have a sense of humor. So that that's her sense of humor, putting it right back on me. Yes, but what I was going to say about her um, is that you know when, when I met her, we were we were kids, and you know she's a convert, and having her in my life. When we talk about grief, when we talk about life, when we talked about sanctification, I have become the man that I am because of my marriage and because of my wife and because of the commitment that is required and the faith that I've seen in her, the strength that I've seen in her, and in, in trying to just raise a family together in you know, love life together, battle life together, work through life together. Without our Catholic faith, we I don't know what it would be. I often, I, I know so many people that whether Catholic or many times not, that just struggle, that have a second and a third marriage, that have so much just stuff going on. And, and I pray for them and I try without, you know, because our life's not perfect, but we try so hard to just let folks know that there, 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 there is an answer, and it is Jesus Christ, and it is his church. And that, like you said, it takes effort. It takes a lot of effort. It takes a lot of effort. And especially today, 2024, being a faithful Catholic, it takes a lot of effort because the world would have you believe that it's heading the opposite direction. But you know, we have Christ on our side. Like I tell people all the time, we've read the last page of this story. We know how the story ends. And we just have to be faithful, we have to be faithful and persevere. And when it comes specifically to grief, the best advice I could give people is you have to have a support system and people that love you and work through grief together. Because mm -hmm. as you mentioned, going it alone, I have a young man who's 19. He just turned 19. He's uh, going off to college. His brother was the hero of his life. His brother took his own life a year and a month ago mm -hmm. in the United States military, and he was only 19. And the impact on that family, my gosh. Mm -hmm. And he's Catholic, you know, and it's helped. I do not know what he goes through. I talk to him all the time and he's always smiling, but I know he suffers and just the impact of grief and dealing with just the trauma of immediate and, and un unforeseen loss is so hard. So you've got to have people that love you and you've got to have Christ without those two things. I can't imagine. And isn't that so important to see the significance of the people around us and grieving and there will be some people who are grieving the same as we are, and that they're grieving the same person. You mentioned your children grieving, coming alongside them and with them and grieving. And then there are times where our closest loved ones and maybe might not know that friend or family member very well, but they can still be a sense of support 
even in the midst of grieving the loss of that family member that I think is so significant. I remember when um, my cousin committed suicide. He had lived with us on and off my entire life. And I remember when that happened, you know, I was in the midst of school, I was in college, and there was only so much time I had in the midst of a quarter to go home, to go to the funeral, to spend time sitting with the family, uh, some of it reminiscing, some of it just sitting there in shock. And when I went back to school as if everything maybe had to just keep going on as if it was normal. There was such a like sorrow, abiding sorrow. And it, it cast, you know, a little bit of a gloom in my reaction. I remember a couple of my friends started mocking me one day saying, oh, you look so serious. You look so serious. It was one of those days where you're just trying to keep together, not think about what's going on. And I remember I just laughed. I said, you have no idea what I'm going through. And they said, well, no, we don't. You didn't tell us what was going on. And I remember there was like, well, just tell us. And I told them what had happened. And they said, oh, my goodness, I'm so sorry. And there was this delicateness about how they treated me after that. There was this this knowledge that even if nothing was said about the loss I was experiencing, they were able to come in alongside me in a way that assisted me in my grieving, even though they weren't sharing in that same grief. So there are so many pieces to what you shared, Hugh, that I think are huge takeaways when we experience loss in our lives, uh, whether it's expected or tragic and unexpected. And that period of grief, as you mentioned, goes on, even if this time later, as you're getting ready to celebrate your father's uh, birthday in May, that you're able to celebrate him on that day. And the shift in perspective, I think, so key. Hugh, thank you for joining me today on Trending. I want to come back with of you. Course. I'd love to get your thoughts here on Elon Musk, as we've been talking about grieving and even illness. Illness does play a part in this whole conversation about grief. Um, I heard the news earlier this week, and I mentioned it earlier, that Elon Musk has shared on X, formerly Twitter, we'll see how long we have to keep saying that, that the first human patient to receive a brain transplant with Neuralink was recovering and recovering well. What's the role of Neuralink going to be in our future? Although it might be a ways out for it to be an everyday norm for treatment for many people, it does bring up many questions. We'll be right back here with Hugh Brown, the Executive Vice President of American Life League, on the cutting edge and front line of the pro-life movement. Find him and his work, American Life League, at ALL.org. We'll be right back. talking about what you're thinking about you're listening to trending with timory on relevant radio and the relevant radio app What will our future be with Neuralink? Elon Musk's company with the brain chip for the brain transplant that can lead you to one day, if you so chose, if it continues to be passed through approval from the FDA, where your mind could control a computer without your hands, but just your your brain 
responding to the Neuralink in your computer. The computer responds and makes functions accordingly. I'll explain it a little bit more. Um, or maybe even here is helpful if you are not super familiar with Neuralink. The hope is, is that, and I'll talk about the potential it has. The hope is, is that it will help in treating serious diseases, Parkinson's, epilepsy, Alzheimer's, helping people who have prosthetics, uh, people who are paralyzed. There's much to be said, but this technological advancement also paves the way um, here for many concerns, but how it works, and I think it's key that we kind of understand, it would make it so that you have the brain, you have the brain transplant, you have the chip, and basically your brain is able to read, or the computer outside of the body is able to read different things going on in your brain to make it so that it can operate, for example, prosthetics or do certain functions on a computer. We'll talk about some of the risks later on and where this is going, but I was keen to get your insights. Joining me now is Hugh Brown. He's the executive vice president of American Life League. Hugh, you shared here before that one of your dearest friends was paralyzed many years ago and suffered immensely as a result until his more recent death. And with that, with being paralyzed, there's much to be discussed when it comes to prosthetics. And I'd like to hear your thoughts on the latest technological advancements with Elon Musk sharing the news this week that the first patient has received a brain transplant and is recovering well from Neuralink. What are your thoughts on the latest technological advancements with Neuralink? Well, you had mentioned earlier, you know, th there are things like pacemakers. There are other implements that can be uh, the human body can be connected to, you know, to help us breathe. We could, we could be intubated, um, meaning we have a machine that helps us breathe. Right. There are people that have has suffered brain injuries that are, that are alive. Their brain is functioning, but they, they can't open their eyes and they have feeding tubes. So there's technology that obviously, and, and there's probably many, many more. There are many technologies that are very helpful. And I think at its face value, if Neuralink could allow someone who's paralyzed to begin to move, or have feeling in uh, limbs or parts of the body that are paralyzed. You know, to me, that's miraculous. But as you read and study what the where the science and where the technology, where the end state is, you have to also realize we live in a, in an age where we murder one million babies a year. Uh, we we harvest their parts for for science and claim that we don't. There are parts of the world where the allegations in China that they're is human organ harvesting. And we live in places in the world where people are viewed as commodities. And if you look at the whole globalist, quote unquote, mindset, the, the World Economic Forum and all the other things that are out there, the Great Reset, the, the, the bottom line in all of that, people are the problem, right? There's just too many people, right? And you go all the way back to the virus. Where'd the virus come from? The, the, the government still doesn't want to tell us the, the truth, right? And we know where it came from. It came out of China, whether, whether intentional or not. It, it caused irreparable harm. So the world's response to, to, to the current day and age is there are too many people and there need to be less of them. So that being the case, I don't think we can trust at all that technology like this, if it evolves to where they want it to evolve, to things such as they call it consensual telepathy. That means you and I, Timory, could communicate online, so to speak, in our minds, yeah, right? right? You're sitting where you are and I, I'm here in Virginia. Imagine, imagine any government or anybody of ill will in the world getting the ability to access everybody that has those. I mean, to me, it's just nuts. I, we just, you can't trust 
today. Uh, we, we started off by talking about virtue. The lack of virtue, it, it, I think, globally is a problem. And a science like this, while it may be miraculous at some point to help people perhaps use limbs that have been you know, frozen and, 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 or, or broken because of being paralyzed or suffering some other trauma, where this is going, you know, the whole um, a transhumanist, which is a whole nother, you know, conversation of people that think they're better than God mm-hmm. um, or no better than God. And I use Dr. Fauci as an example. There's a quote from him. Anyone can Google. He was asked if he was Catholic and his, his response is he evolved past all that. <laughs> right. right. So, yeah, all that. Right. Yeah, that's silly Catholic stuff. It's ridiculous. I mean, that's the mindset that we're dealing with. So this to me, um, it, it I, I, you, you, <laughs> you would never have me line up to say, install that in my head. I mean, that just, mm-hmm. I don't, um, oh, well you can access, you can answer your phone calls in your brain. I mean, it's just, it's just insanity as far as I'm concerned. Mm-hmm. If it can help mm-hmm. paralyzed folks or disease, sure. But obviously we've shown as, as a race, we, we discard God quickly because we see dollars or we see whatever our own humanist agenda is. And it never, it never ends well for many, many people. It was interesting here. I was having a conversation late the other night with my husband about Neuralink and he started to approach it from a perspective similar to you. Like, okay, there's a lot of good that can be done. And if we're going to do it, here are things that shouldn't, shouldn't be done. But I think there's got to be a major pause. There's a difference, as you mentioned, from a pacemaker versus this, a breathing machine versus this. This is actually altering the human brain. And we could talk about it as treatment for healing or helping to ease things. But then we're also discussing, as you mentioned, the fact that people are looking at this as a quote enhancement. You mentioned, which I think is so key, and I was going to discuss it later on, that Elon Musk's part of his end game is that we're virtually communicating via telepathy, essentially, as you call it, consensual telepathy. It's intriguing and it's fascinating, but that doesn't mean just because we can or we would like to, that we should. And what is concerning to me is that this is a major human experiment. I do want to touch back for just a moment. Your friend uh, you spoke to, you shared this for years, every night on the phone who was paralyzed. And you could look at Neuralink and say, this would be a great solution potentially for his experience and his situation to potentially have prosthetics that can move or that help move his body just because we can and we can see how it would even alleviate the pain and suffering in our own loved ones' lives, that doesn't, I think, give us an excuse to chase after things that could be extremely risky, both in the end game and also in the means to getting there. Oh, listen. So something you talk about all the time and as Catholics, we're, we're focused on daily. And here at the American Life League, this is what we do. And I hate hate to use the word industry when you talk about pro-life or or, or, <laughs> yeah. or the fight for life, uh, the fight. But, but look at abortion, right? I mean, abortion, when you say, you know, there are things, there are places we should go that we, we can't go. Well, where, where we've been as a society for 50 years uh, legally, right, is you're pregnant, you don't want to be pregnant. So you end your child's life. And you have all the arguments they use about it's not a human being and it's all this other nonsense. But that's happened to the tune in this country of, I don't know the numbers now, 700 million people that we know of and globally probably billions when you look at the Chinese. So clearly life doesn't matter. So to imagine it's no stretch, right, to say that consensual telepathy uh, will, will compromise our ability to think or compromise our ability to even have free will if someone were to able to access it. Yes. I mean, yeah. my, 
And my family were big nerds. We love Lord of the Rings and Star Wars. And I'd love to wave my hand and say, these are not the droids you're looking for and have people walk <laughs> off in the other direction. But that's kind of, I mean, for just look at abortion is what I come back to. Man is not afraid to go anywhere. Not afraid to go anywhere when it comes to evil. And uh, anybody that hates this country, rebels in this country, I still say this is the greatest country on planet Earth. We still have a lot of people, the media will tell you otherwise, but there's a lot of good people in this country with high moral standards that want what's better for this country. That's why it's important to do what you're doing right now. I don't know anyone else talking about this. I mean, I had to Google it when you wanted to talk about it. it, it, <laughs> it I, I didn't realize this had happened. Yeah. Um, and I, I look at Elon Musk as someone who hopefully someday, if you look at what he's done with Twitter, and you look at the things he's saying recently, I pray for that guy. Imagine if he converted to Catholicism and became yeah. devout. Yep. I mean, he, he could be he could be one of our heroes. And I think we do need to pray for him. There was that huge following out with him and the head of Google. I'm not remembering his name right now, but over concerned with regard to AI and there needing to be limitations on AI. And the fact that his comrades in the tech industry, these brainiacs who have created these incredible things that can be used for good, yet the end game that they're seeking is questionable. Hugh, thank you for joining me today on training. You can find Hugh Brown on the front line of the pro-life movement at ALL.org. That's ALL.org. I do want to talk a little bit more about Elon Musk and Neuralink. There are a lot of things to be brought up, and I mentioned this earlier just as kind of an initial response, and there, this is an ongoing conversation. This is why the church, the United States Catholic Conference of Bishops, just earlier uh, in last year, in 2023, released a document specifically on the topic of, it was a doctrinal note on the limits to technological manipulation of the human body. And I'll share a little more about that in a moment, but here's the deal. If you're if you need to be up to snuff on this, the FDA approved clinical trials of Neuralink last May. Now, we just heard the news from Elon Musk on X that the first patient to receive a brain transplant with Neuralink was recovering well. We're covering, we're discussing the future of brain-computer interfaces, minds operating computers, but without movement of the body, movement of the hands to operate the computer. I think there is a huge need for prudence. And this is, I think, the church's approach that we virtuously look at technology available to us at our fingertips and that we make, we make virtuous choices, faith-filled, God-filled choices, whether it be with the way I use social media today, with the way I use medicine to treat myself for good versus ill, and so I think Neuralink for us, although it might not impact us individually right away, it is part of the future of medicine. And we need to have, a, I think, a huge pause on our approach. Uh, we need to ask questions such as what is the motivation behind the developers? What is the role of suffering and the pursuit of the kingdom of heaven when it comes to technology and the easing of pain? What is the role of medicine? And technology. Again, what can Neuralink do? It can make it so that with a surgical implant in your brain, this is brain surgery, an external computer can translate and read your neural signs so that it can help operate a computer, operate a prosthetic, among other things. But did you catch that? It can read your thoughts. Now, there's a potential for great good. Prosthetics stimulate parts of the brain for things such as addressing Parkinson's, epilepsy, Alzheimer's. Now, I get a little, actually more than a little concerned when I hear things such as using Neuralink with a brain chip in the brain to treat depression and anxiety. 
I do think that's problematic. Not that depression and anxiety aren't real struggles and conditions, but this is a human condition to be addressed. And I think there's a red flag here that we don't use brain chips to address mental health challenges. It eliminates in many respects the role of virtue, prayer, the important role of suffering, the important role of physical activity and sleep and food and how all of those things significantly impact depression, anxiety. I know I've seen firsthand with my own food allergies and health issues and just being sick alone can create mental health challenges. So there's a lot of risk here and a lot to be discussed. Uh, We could talk about the individual topics, whether it be depression, anxiety, Parkinson's and what the potential is there. I do see the potential. But again, I think prudence calls us to not just dive into science in areas that could be risky. And what are some of the risks? There are many, and we're just scratching the surface in a topic that we will be discussing much more often. But the risk is mind control by someone operating a computer that has control of your brain. I mean, literally brainwashing and programming. Let's just be really clear here for the moment. The human person is not something to be programmed or reprogrammed. And I think that's key. So even as we discuss things such as being able to stimulate brain activity that can impact various areas of the body, there's a cosmic difference between a pacemaker, and again, you're not required to use a pacemaker. If you don't feel comfortable with a pacemaker, our Catholic Church teaching says that's not an ordinary means to stay alive. That's an extraordinary intervention that if you're comfortable with, and we see the science is conducive to do so, you can, but the mind, I mean, we have to think very keenly about how we exercise what it means to be a human being through the exercise of our mind and body together, our soul and body together, the exercise of free will, that we're able to exert ourselves with our intellect, come to know something and freely freely choose it. God gave us free will. We have to be careful that we don't create technologies that could usurp free will or violate that. Remember, love is an action. If God is love and I'm made with intellect and free will and I'm made in his image and likeness, well, then I too am made for love, but I exercise that through my coming to know something and freely choosing it. I really don't believe the human person is meant to be an experiment. Again, I'm all about technology and advancements and cures. But there's a reason why the church has said no to things such as human cloning, no to in vitro fertilization, And this in particular, Neuralink, think there will be much to be said and discussed on the front line of bioethics. What will we say about neuroscience in the church? This is actually dealing with the mind, the deepest connection of the body and soul. The material coming into contact with the immaterial, that is where we see our brain, the body and soul. There's so much to be understood in the significance of the role of the mind. And so more to come next week as we talk about what does it mean to enhance the body or to, quote, enhance the brain? How do we navigate and have debates and conversations now about Neuralink? Because although this might not be a form of technology and medicine available to you and I, it will be in the future. And the technology is only developing more rapidly than we can even keep up. Up next is a family rosary across America.
This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Friday, we're having a marriage hour on trending with advice from couples who've been married longer than 50 years. They're in their 70s, 80s, and up. With their sage wisdom, they're here to give on trending. Also, what does it mean to serve and to serve in marriage? Jesus Christ said, I've come not to be served, but to serve. What is the challenge for all of us? We'll discuss that in taking difficult questions about NFP. Join me daily, 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio.